Welcome to Creating Synergy, where we explore what it takes to transform. We are powered by Synergy IQ. Our mission is to help leaders create world-class businesses where people are safe, valued, inspired, and fulfilled. We can only do this with our amazing community. So thank you for listening. Hey there, Synergizers, and welcome back to another episode of the Creating Synergy podcast. I am Daniel Franco, your host, and today we ventured out to the offices of IT company Nuago to speak to one of the most giving, most patient, and humble human beings that I've ever met, Mick O'Rourke. Mick has worked in varying business environments ranging from startups to the largest firms in the world, primarily in the computer and tech industry. His roles have included project management, marketing, sales, senior management, and small business ownership. He spent two years in the US Military Academy before starting his career as an engineer with Exxon in Alaska. From here, he went on to obtain his MBA in Stanford University, Palo Alto, California, where he decided to switch his career into marketing. He then worked for 15 years for Hewlett-Packard, and then as Vice President of Marketing for several small companies in Silicon Valley. In 1996, he came upon an opportunity to buy a computer dealership company called Centauri Systems in Adelaide, South Australia. He picked up his family of five and permanently moved them to Australia. He went on to grow Centauri Systems from a $5 million to $36 million business in seven years. It was then subsequently sold to an ASX-listed company. From here, he started up another IT company called Datacom in South Australia with five partners in 2006. It went on to become one of the largest firms in South Australia, achieving over $50 million in sales over five years. He now devotes his time providing mentoring and coaching through the University of South Australia Centre for Growth Program and is chairman of Nuago, a very successful IT startup firm which serves entities in South Australia where two of his sons, Connor and Brendan, are directors of the company. In its first four years, Nuago has been recognized in both the CRN and BDO fastest growing companies multiple times. This podcast was a truly amazing learning experience. Mick and I discussed many topics. However, we honed in on his methods and processes of successfully growing a business where Mick believes key focus should be put on developing your people, living to the company values, and excelling in both marketing and sales. We talked about Mick's love for Stephen Covey's seven habits of highly effective people and how he entwines these habits into his daily life and believes that creating small positive habits are fundamental to any success. My business partner, Michelle Holland, and I have had the pleasure of sitting down with Mick over the past few months numerous times and learning more and more about his approach to growing a long-term sustainable business. It has been one of the steepest learning curves in my career and I'm forever indebted to you, Mick. I absolutely cannot wait for you guys to listen to this podcast. I know it'll be great for everyone who is thinking about starting their own business, growing within a business or even just growing themselves. I hope you enjoy. So welcome back to the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, your host. And today we have a great man by the name of Mick O'Rourke. Welcome to the show, Mick. Thank you very much, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Mick, you are a, uh, you've 
been a, it's almost like a mentor to me over the past few months. We've been doing a lot of work together. Your story is an amazing story. Are you able to just give us a bit of background about who you are, what you've achieved, your uh, your journey to Australia, your family, all the above? Well, sure. Um, I've been in Australia for 25 years. Uh, Australian citizen, you're not going to get rid of me now. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, before that, of course, from my accent, you can tell. I'm from the States, born in Colorado, um, son of a military officer, got moved around all over the place. And uh, then I guess that's how I ended up at uh, West Point, which is U.S. Military Academy for officers for a couple of years. It's actually a four-year university, but I decided military isn't for me, and I transferred over to Stanford University out on the other coast and got a degree in engineering. Uh, worked as a drilling engineer for Exxon in Alaska and other places, and then decided, no, I want to be a businessman. Then went back, got my MBA also at Stanford. And uh, then I started in what I'd call a marketing high-tech career. Uh, Hewlett Packard, uh, seven or eight years, great, great people. Uh, division in San Diego, uh, where we were able to really kick huge goals and so much fun. And that was really formative for me culturally as, as well as uh, in other business ways. Then I moved into Silicon Valley for six or seven years. Uh, yeah. uh, there's a lot of movement. In yeah, Silicon so what, in what year was that when you moved in? Uh, I'd say that was around 1990, okay. somewhere so around there. During the, the boom? Yeah, the, I'd say uh, the 80s was a real boom. Yeah. The 90s was the lead up to the dot com. Dot com yeah. It was an exciting time. Everybody yeah. was looking for the big win. Yeah, I guess they are now too, but it was, it was quite exciting. And a lot of um, companies starting, a lot of turnover of staff. Uh, so I jumped into the heart of Silicon Valley at uh, one point. And, uh, Where were you working at the time? I was working for uh, a number of smaller firms in Cupertino, one that did uh, monitors for uh, and graphic cards for Apple. Um, and uh, uh, I can't remember. There were small firms that they really didn't pan out. Uh, one was a subsidiary of uh, a Xerox company that did large format color printing. Uh, there are more companies in Silicon Valley than you would believe. You only hear about the the small percentage that emerged, yeah. the Googles and so on. Yeah. Um, but I floated around no more than two years at any one company. Uh, that, there was a startup I went to that did uh, cartridges for laser jets. You wouldn't okay. think that's even a market. No. It, it isn't <laughs> anymore. Uh, but that's how you used to get your fonts. Yeah. They weren't automatic. Yeah. So it kind of dates me a bit. But uh, yeah, there was a startup for everything then. So when did the transition come to Australia, what, and what brought the transition onto Australia? Well, uh, quite frankly, I was on the airplane almost every week, uh, and I was—I uh, had been the vice president of marketing, which is a a nice title and everything, made good money, um, but I really wanted to run my own company, and I wanted to see my family at night. I didn't <laughs> mind working hard, but literally almost every week I was on the airplane. I I missed two of my daughter's birthdays okay. in a row. Yeah, It's not like just missing a, a soccer game when yeah. you miss a birthday. Yeah, so I big thought, thing. I need to become a better dad. And there was an opportunity came up in here in Adelaide uh, for me to buy a business. 
a small business on the parade, put the sandwich board out and sold laser so, jets and inkjet printers. It was before Harvey Norman and, you know, getting them online. And yeah. So how does that come about? How does a, a vice president of marketing seek an opportunity in Adelaide to, to buy a business? Well, I had a friend who had worked with me at Hewlett Packard. Okay. Uh, he was in Melbourne. And he said, Mick, get out of that rat race. Get your kids over here. It's a great place. Uh, it's a great adventure. And I know a guy who's retiring wants to sell a business in Adelaide. And we could join forces, uh, maybe connect all the cities together, which we ultimately did. Uh, so is that Centauri Systems? Is that the... That was Centauri Systems, yeah, yeah which was subsequently sold to Commander, uh, which was a Telstra spinoff. And, yeah, great. Uh, so that began the adventure. I, uh, I saw the, the gentleman who was selling the company at Comdex in Las Vegas, an annual computer show. Yep. In, I think, November, December 95. We came to some sort of verbal terms. I flew out in January of 96 and penned the deal, effective July 1 of 96, and took some video because my family had never been here. <laughs> And uh, and I said, yes, there's American culture. There's a McDonald's and a Blockbusters. And, uh, <laughs> We've got yeah, everything we need. <laughs> yeah, we can live. <laughs> so how so, many? You've got three kids? Three kids, yeah. Two boys? Two boys and a girl. Two boys and yeah. a girl. The uh, the boys are now grown-up businessmen and you know, directors. Who you're in business with. Yeah. I'm in yeah. business, directors of Nuago. And my daughter and her husband are both veterinarians. With, they have their own vet practice up by Mount Barker. Perfect. And uh, so uh, Australia has been the best thing that ever happened to me uh, and my family. So what did, what did it look like then when you came over? You bought, bought, bought into this business. I believe you built this business from $5 million to $36 million. Yeah, yeah, that's about right. It, it had been around for about eight years uh, and was kind of stuck at the $5 million point and yep. doing peripherals and was Hewlett-Packard-only dealer. And HP specifically said they wanted the business to move upstream, mm -hmm. um, networks, yep. uh, uh, things that are more sophisticated, bigger servers than just peripherals. Yep. And so that's what we proceeded to do. Uh, I'd like to say I knew exactly what I was going to do, but I didn't. <laughs> yeah, just... I just worked really hard and figured one thing out at a time. Started to apply my things I guess I knew, but I didn't know I knew. And... Uh, and they started to work. Did you get more but, time with the family? Did you get your wish? Yeah, yeah I, I got to come home every night. I was Great. work. We were open even Saturdays for a while. I shut, I shut down because the, the retail end of things was not where I wanted to go. But uh, even with working six days a week, I came home at least every night. But I realized uh, there was still a thing. But the a drawing my daughter did in art school early on of me was me laying on the couch with a laptop on my lap so i thought wow that's her memory of me but at least i was home <laughs> yeah, at least it's on your couch <laughs> so yes that was uh that was one of the best things that happened i started to become a much better father i think than i had been uh so what is a what mission is accomplished it, there i think you'll have to ask the kids what does a good father look like to you then what when you say well i started out probably more money oriented and thinking my kids need to go to a you know, the best schools and have a nice big house and whatever they need. I didn't come from those kind of background. I, yeah. Mine was more humble. 
And so uh, I didn't spend as much time thinking about, well, how about spending more time with them, uh, being around to be the role model that you should be and that sort of thing, things I really believe in now. And I was just caught up in the rat race. Um, so being there for them and modeling good behaviors. In, in fact, again, that's similar to business, isn't it? Mm. Uh, if you're always gone and you're not there to help establish the values and model good behaviors, why you might not be able to expect that your employees will adapt those behaviors and values. How do you build the awareness to understand that if you're building a business and you've got so many staff, let's say you've got 20, 30, 40 staff, whatever it is in your team, they, they almost become the family. You've, you know, you've got 30, 40 mortgages that you've got to look after and you know, make sure that there's enough work in the systems and the, the, it's sustainable enough to grow. Then you've got a family of three children and, 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 your, and your wife. Where do you draw the line on what's more important? You know the family is going to be unconditional. They're going to love you. Do you put more time into the business knowing that you're growing? Like, where do you draw the line in that space? Well, I, I'm not sure I do draw the line. Mm -hmm. I, obviously, you know, primal instincts, your kids and your, and your wife and your immediate family is, is always a first priority. But I'd like to think there's enough of me, enough time, to treat everybody well, mm. to radiate out uh, the same values wherever I go. Mm. Uh, so I don't, I don't try and be one person at work and another one at home, or another one when I go to the shop. Yeah, it makes it easy for me because uh, I try and and be the same person everywhere. When you, what about when you sp splitting time? What do you put family as a priority first, or you just try to manage it as best as you can? Uh, well, you know, I don't believe in work-life balance. First mm. of all, people look at me like, oh, you're some freak. <laughs> uh, my work is part of my life. Yeah. Uh, I try and again, look at all the hours I'm awake, uh, and how do I function? And the, the line has always been blurred for me between my work and my home life, but I don't, uh, look at my life. My work is a bad thing, and my life is a good thing. Mm, or my that's true. My yeah. life outside. I really just don't even think that way. Mm. And anyone who tells me that, I say, maybe you should consider where you're working. Yeah, you spend that much time of your life in the place. If you can't find a way to enjoy it, um, that's 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 kind of sad. And that's mm. coming from a person who's had some crappy jobs. Yeah. So uh, uh, I just think you should. You, if you're going to spend that much time in a place, you should try and find one that fits your values and what you want to do and excites you. Absolutely. And I tell that to people who work for me. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I if agree. I, if we can't keep you interested, which is my goal is to keep you interested in learning, then, yeah, you should go somewhere else. It's our job to try and keep you here. Absolutely. Um, That's a great attitude. So you've built three successful businesses since coming out to Australia with uh, Centauri Systems, then you and you sold that to obviously the Telstra affiliate company. Then you bought in Datacom to Australia. Yeah, well, the story is uh, uh, we also bought a Centauri Perth in, in the at the time. So I used to fly out to Perth okay. uh, all the time yeah. because we wanted all the major cities covered. So I had Perth and Adelaide, but I actually 
uh, spent most of my time in Adelaide. But then I thought, okay, I've, I've made enough money. I don't have to work again. And uh, as if that would satisfy me. And I realized that um, uh, that probably isn't going to gonna cut it. I started knocking things off the bucket list and doing all the projects at the house. And like a lot of uh, folks are in business, you, when you run at a high pace, you, you find that uh, it's hard to gear down. Mm. And uh, fortunately for me, uh, some of my ex-employees who were working at uh, Commander, uh, which was the uh, company I sold Centauri to, they came and, and uh, said, Mick, uh, we're making more money, but we don't like it here. And why don't you start another business and we want to come work for you, <laughs> which was really flattering. That, yeah. that actually, that made me feel good uh, in, in one sense in that oh, they must have liked working with me. Yeah. But in the other, on the other hand, I thought uh, I've never been good at doing the same thing twice, exactly the same way. So I said, uh, why don't I help you start a business? Uh and uh, I don't know what my involvement will be. And so it just happened with five other guys, five of my ex-employees. Uh, I said, uh, we don't want, nobody's going to buy their network from Mick, a computer company. So we probably need to partner up with somebody who already has a name and a website and can teach us some things. I didn't know who that would be, but I started calling around and I, I called the CEO of Datacom, which is a, uh, started in New Zealand, the biggest computer IT firm there. They had some businesses on the Australian East Coast, but nothing in Adelaide. And I called him up and said, I got a great crew here. Uh, we can come up with our own startup money, do everything. We'll figure out how you can buy it in the future. What do you think? And after he, he pulled himself off the floor laughing at me, uh, <laughs> I said, that's not quite how we do business. Uh, uh, we're going to own uh, some of this from the start, and then we do definitely want to own all of it later. But they really le left us alone. And besides putting in some seed capital, we were able to build a business with their name and their website. And really, the the I don't want to take credit for that. It was the guys that had worked for me. I got to call myself chairman and, you know, waltz in probably more at first than than later. Uh, and, and I was more operational at first. But all of the really the heavy lifting was done by guys who had worked for me before mm -hmm. and they'd never started a company and uh and they did a tremendous job it was your guidance though that played an integral part in that i'd like to think that was my value add and i mm -hmm. did my share as a shareholder yeah. uh it, there wasn't a lot of new uh concepts for them because a lot of them had been through it at centauri commander so uh we extended and built on those guys built on uh, the things that I had done is uh, when I was the single owner of Centauri, they then took that and took it to a new level. Yes. With my guidance, but uh, real value added on their part. And as I said, a lot of heavy lifting, yeah. they were able to take that business from zero to 50 million in five years. And uh, yeah, the credit really goes to, uh, uh, Darren Williams and the other guys. He was the managing director. And I'm proud on their behalf. Mm. But I, I think it's inappropriate for me to take credit there. We can take some percentage. All right, I'll take a little bit. I'll take my percentage of ownership. But, but still, I, I, I'm serious. Why do, you, why do you think that they came to you and said, Mick, we want you to lead us into the next venture? 
it's scary starting a business mm -hmm. if you haven't done it before. Uh, my daughter, when she started a vet practice, same thing. I knew how, what, how good a vet she really was and her husband. Well, they're perfect for this. But when you haven't started a business, uh, it's what you don't know that is scary and you think you're going to fail and, uh, and lose all your money and, and uh, never recover. And uh, Adelaide is not like Silicon Valley where a failure is put on your chest as a badge. Here, a failure is you're doomed to the boondocks and yeah. uh, looked at as a loser. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it was, I think, more scary for them and for my uh, daughter and her husband when they started their business. So they came to me and I, I provided an umbilical cord for safety, for wisdom, gray hair, all that stuff. <laughs> but the capability was there. Uh, and I just helped guide them. Yeah. Uh, and now any of them could start their business on, on their own, I believe. Well, they all have, haven't they? So you've sold out of Datacom? Yeah. You sold your share back to Datacom? Yeah, and that was part of the shareholder agreement. Yeah. They had uh, um, options to buy uh, based on a formula, and they exercised them. And, and I'd like to think you know, all the guys did well financially, and I did well. And, but more importantly, they're proud of having built a business which, by extension, Another division of Datacom is Datacom Connect, which does support answered by an Australian rather than someone from overseas. And so a lot of the big organizations in Australia use Datacom Connect. You may not even know it when you call up yep. you know, the ATO or somebody. There's a Datacom person. And I think they have put in 16, 1,800 jobs in South Australia. Yeah, the latest of which were are about 600 down no longer mm, in the shopping yeah, center. Yeah. So uh, I feel like, uh, again, the pride as, as all the uh, founders did of maybe having brought uh, a lot more jobs and uh, to this economy. And that's a good feeling for me yeah. right now. And I, and I know it is again, for the guys who did uh, the bulk of the work, the, the other datacom operational. Absolutely. People. So you have now, a few years later, you sold your shares a few years later, been approached by your sons and uh, a couple of other guys who have come over from Datacom? Yeah, it was. Uh, it started with my eldest son, Brendan, and uh, he said, Dad, I want to start a business. I said, well, yeah, I'll help you out. Um, it had that same feeling of the, the, the data comp Exactly. This thing. is where I was uh, going. I'll be chairman. <laughs> that means uh, I, don't, I don't have to be operational. I can come in when I want. Uh, so I said, yeah, I'm happy to help you out. And he already had a lot of equity uh, in the IT business anyway. He had worked at Centauri. He had worked at Datacom. He had worked in multiple jobs Then went over to the States and got experience. So he, he was already bringing a lot to the party. When you say he... My son, Brendan, Brendan. The, the, the original founder. And then the other three who he gathered up to start the company. Uh, my other son, Connor, is director of sales. And uh, then Craig, our director of professional services and our director of managed services, uh, uh, Ben Schofield. They were Datacom, Connor and Ben and Craig. And it really hurt in, in many instances to pull that talent out of Datacom. I, I want to be honest with you. But when guys want to try something in life, I actually admire that. You know, they want to have a go and they were ready to do it. And they were ready to put up their houses and work really hard and take a much lower salary and, and really live through a scary period, which they did. Mm -hmm. 
um, I admire that. And absolutely, so the fact that two of them were my sons was even better. Yeah, but we've never run it as a family business. We've run it as a venture with those four guys starting it, and me helping out, and uh, not dissimilar to Datacom, except we. I like to think from my perspective, this is 3.0, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and this time, all the shareholders work here. Yeah. I have a, a, a small percentage. Yeah. They have the, the bulk They're of the it. Bulk. And so they have to live with the consequences of their decisions financially. Um, when customers have a problem, they feel it not only from a, a professional standpoint, but they feel it from uh, a financial standpoint. And that's the way it should be. Uh, so there's a opinion. there's a pattern emerging here though, Mick, right? So you 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 come to Australia, you start up Centauri, well you buy into Centauri, you sell. You you bring Datacom over from New Zealand, you build it from you and the team, I should say, always you and the team, build it from five to fifty million, or however you know, up to fifty million in five years, I should say. Now we're at New New Argo. The the guys have come to you, Mick, we want you to be part of this. We want you to help us lead and guide the team and build the structures and processes in the background. And now New Argo, I understand, has been uh, recognized in the BDO Fast Growth Company for 2020. So there's a formula here that is uh, is quite you, – you, you've built something and you've built a, a process which I believe is – Good is great. It's uh, it's working. It's doing wonders in in especially in Adelaide and Australia. What do you believe is the fundamentals of building a successful business? What are the some of the formulas that you follow? Well, I think, and people don't like to hear this. You really need to understand the market you're entering. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people, well, of course you do, but. The number of companies that have been started over dinner or in pubs and yeah. without the the requisite, well, does the community need another one of these companies? Mm-hmm. What is our difference? Is there somebody out there already doing successfully what we say we're going to do? The example I use a lot is a restaurant. You can be a great cook of uh, Brazilian food. <laughs> and if there's already a big Brazilian restaurant on the block and they're doing a great job, you're going to have a hard time being successful. You need to pick your segment. You need to have an approach that's different. And you might say, well, how do you do that in IT? You know, there seems like there are so many of those companies and there are. That's why you need to really carefully think about who are you targeting and what is your message? And even with my daughter's vet practice, I can tell you is the same thing. You're going to start a vet practice. Well, where, uh, where are the successful vet practices in that area? How are you going to be any different? And so she, she did her homework on, uh, she started within six months of the Nuago folks, and they are absolutely booming up near Mount Barker. Okay. And I'm proud to say that you get in the chat rooms up there and say, what is a great vet in the Adelaide Hills? More than 50% of the responses, sometimes 80, will be from, from NanVet, my daughter's yeah. business. But she went around the same approach. She looked at where are the existing practices? What, how big are they? Do they specialize in big or small animals? How many houses are there? What's the average pet? I mean, it's boring stuff doing your homework on mm. a business. It's never the exciting stuff of what we call the three C's of marketing, which is talking to customers and doing your competitive analysis. But that's where in what's my the thir- Sorry, what's the third C? Customers. Third thing is your company strength. Company. What are you good at? Yeah. The three C's. So it's 
It's a customers, competition, and company strengths. And the fourth element, of course, you look at is what is the size of the overall market you're addressing? Because you can have a great idea, uh, but if there aren't enough people who want to eat Brazilian food in Adelaide, then you can be the best Brazilian cook on the planet and you won't be successful. Mm. So the size of the addressable market and this three C's analysis, uh, it's one thing I push and push and push. Well, what's the unmet need in this thing? How can we position ourselves? How can we get a win? Because if there isn't an opportunity there, uh, then you won't be successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing that startups often fail on is having enough money, enough cash. They uh, may not think things through. Um, and then the third is bringing talent into the company. The the founder that thinks that the company is going to be successful because they're so smart or they're really good uh, and doesn't believe that it's uh, attracting and retaining the best people you can, that person's probably going to fail. Mm. Uh, so uh, I always look to, to find the best people and go pay what I need to pay for them and then hang on to them. Then the, in the end, they make or break a business for you. How do you go about finding the right people? Well, it, it, when you're in IT, you, you get to know, have a good network to begin with. Yeah. And in fact, what I recommend to people, again, whether it's a vet practice, an IT business, a restaurant or whatever, always be cultivating uh, your network and have in mind the next one or two people you want to bring to your company. Mm. Be constantly recruiting, just like you're constantly selling in, in a good way. Um, you should be constantly recruiting and bringing talent in and going, I, I'm going to find a place for that person in my company as soon as we can afford to bring them in. Uh, and, and that runs out, but uh, we have our employees, usually any company I've been at, we reward them for bringing people into the company that stay longer than probationary period. And usually they're, they're proud and they won't bring in somebody who isn't going to hold up the standard. Mm-hmm. So... This kind of mafia made man approach to uh, to hiring is another one I really like. Yeah. Uh, some of the best people I've ever had were recommended by other employees. Yeah. Uh, in fact, if you look at Nuago, I'd say good at least half of them are references from other employees. People want to work with people they ad- they admire and can learn from and Absolutely. and share the cultural values. And then it has to keep going on. You work with universities if you can. Uh, you try and find good search firms, and there's lots of good and bad stories there. If you're going to use Seek, and everybody does it at some point, you've got to really look at what you say on Seek and have a way to filter out the all the people that seem to apply that didn't seem to read with their qualifications yeah. when, they, when they sent the resumes in. I know you're a big advocate on bringing the right people in. We've had many, many conversations about this when you bring someone into the business, Nuago has a process of onboarding. Can you elaborate on it? It's brilliant. Well, uh, we start with, for example, our values from the interview process. We make sure that we interview not only for functional competence, whether it's an engineer or salesperson, what have you, but also for values. Because we actually evaluate on a, a matrix, and the Center for Business Growth teaches this, of 
performance, technical performance, and value performance, if you will. So we, we start hiring on those two axes, uh, start interviewing and hiring on that. And when we onboard, we onboard with an emphasis on, hey, here's our offer letter included a page of values and a page of performance requirements. We remind them on the first day, this is what we're going to talk to you about in both cases, both axes. Um, but then we proceed to try and make sure their experience is good. Actually, even before they come on. Mm -hmm. During that notice period, we make sure we call them up. How are you doing? Because that's the time they might have uh, buyer's remorse. Yeah. They're getting counter offers. Uh, they, they're, they're maybe feeling a little bit anxious. So the onboarding mm -hmm. starts before they even onboard. onboard yeah. uh, we invite them to, to uh, functions. We treat them as if they've been hired from the minute they say yes. Yeah. So we think that's important. And then when they come in, we give them uh, a buddy, if you will, a person who doing a similar job. You can ask them anything. They also meet with uh, the various departments. We give them functional training. We have a calendar to bring them up to speed as quickly as possible. And we have a, uh, a pretty significant document we give them that tells them virtually everything. You'll be getting, uh, you'll be fitted for these shirts. Uh, this is where you park. Here's where the cafes are. Try and make them feel as comfortable as possible as soon as possible mm. so that they'll feel good and do good work. And I, and I have to admit, Nuago's attrition rate is uh, very low, very, very low for an IT company. Um, and I think it's a tribute to the great job the guys have done at bringing in good talent and hanging on to it because I know they're getting hit hard by the headhunters all the time. So we work in, in the culture and leadership space. Values are something that we absolutely believe to be powerful, but it's often something that you see thrown up on a wall and expected that people follow those values. How do you hold people account to those values? or what, how, Why is it so important for you and the team at Nuago? Well, the, the reason it's important is if, if you don't have values, uh, you spend a lot of time asking yourself, how do we behave in this situation? And you might do some bad things and you won't have anything to role model for your people. Uh, values are uh, the uh, fundamental fabric of the company. It's how you roll, if you will, in today's uh, uh, lingo. Uh, so Is it today's enough? <laughs> no, yeah, for me it is. You got to remember, I'm from the Jurassic era. era. Uh, so values, we... Uh, are not something you just stick in the lobby uh, after the result of a consultant coming in uh, and correct. spending a weekend with you. Yeah, correct. Uh, so Agreed. we uh, interview for them. We, as I said, we put a values page in the offer package. So what does interview for them mean? What do you mean by that? That means we ask them questions that will tease out their values. Their values. Yeah. What's and a, what's a typical well question that you would ask to you? Well, I'm not involved in the day-to-day -day okay. interviewing. Yeah. What, so, what, just off the top of your head. But what, if what, it were me, yeah. uh, I'd, I'd put them in a situation of uh, uh, that might bring out their uh, willingness to go the extra mile. Have you ever had a situation uh, where the result was really hard to achieve, but you got there? Just see how they are in terms of quality. That might bring out customer service. It might bring out teamwork. Yeah. Um, 
And those are, you know, there are values. Some of them are what we call hygiene values. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to hire somebody who's not a team player, isn't honest, and some of these others. Uh, and then you have your go the extra uh, mile values, and we've talked about those. Synergy IQ has some great ones. Uh, and so you try and figure out both your hygiene values and your the ones that make you distinctive as a company, Correct. as an organization. Yeah. So you have to ask questions that tease those out. And people look out for those questions. So they, you know, you, you somehow have to interview them long enough so they get tired enough and the true person comes yeah. out. <laughs> uh, and so it's a little bit of an art as well as yeah. a science. And that's another reason why we like somebody who knows somebody who's worked with them. Yeah, uh, It's a sales process or an interview process can be uh, difficult to really nail down the person. But you say, yeah, I worked with him for a year mm. or her. Uh, this is what they're like. Mm. Well, that's that's a great reference, isn't mm. it? Um, so we, again, prefer to have people who've worked with other people that are in our organization. And again, you cannot, when you're high growth, you run out of those folks. But that's our, that's our preference. So I know you're really big on the seven habits of highly effective people Stephen Covey in fact the room next door is the Stephen Covey room mm -hmm. what how does the values align with the seven habits program that you run for your team all right so the the seven habits uh, I I can say we we put nine hours of training for every employee over six weeks on the seven habits that we, as part of the onboarding part of our onboarding, onboarding process yeah. so uh, we take it seriously. We try and walk the walk. I do all that training myself mm -hmm. because uh, I've done it so much and it helps free the other guys to do you know, the regular work of the yeah. business. Uh, but I enjoy it. I learn every You're time I do it. You're working on the quadrant two. Yeah. Really? yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, qu for qu quadrant two, of course, is things that are important but not urgent. And not urgent. Well, this and, is urgent in the case of onboarding. Yeah. And, well, taking the seven habits yeah. is... Any training you do, any learning you do, any planning you do, uh, you you don't wake up and say, "Oh, I got to do some more planning today." Yeah. You, you say, "Oh, my inbox is full, and all these messages I got to respond to." And uh, so, if, if your original question was, "How do those seven habits relate to the values of this company?" and uh, there is definitely uh, a connection. Um, they don't map directly, but we believe here in uh, uh, listening and understanding the other person, whether it's another employee, a supplier, or very importantly, our customer. Understanding what what are you trying to do? Not can I sell you a bunch of, of kit? Mm. So, uh, and I think you've seen some of our sales training. We train our uh, salespeople to in the 60-30-10 rule. First 60% of any meeting is listening to what the customer uh, needs uh, rather than whipping out the PowerPoint and saying, look how great my company is. Yeah. Don't you want to buy my stuff? Yeah. Uh, and we really enforce that. Uh, well, I think and, you used the analogy, you got two ears and one mouth. Yeah. An old, and, yeah and that like, really ties into habit five, for yeah. example, of, uh, of Covey's stuff, which is understand before you can be understood. Mm. Really try and figure out what's going on with the other person. And that's in every interaction. Uh, and again, because it's holistic training, it works at home, it works okay. out 
Well, the book is highly effective people. It doesn't mean highly effective in business. It's just highly effective people. And he has a book that's Seven Habits for Families. He does. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm a believer in the concept. uh, And uh, it's helped me a lot. So I'm trying helping. I try helping other people. We don't have any strict requirement. We don't make them take a test on the seven habits. It's just, uh, as Covey says, you can't open the gate of change for someone else. You have to open it yourself. And so uh, we expose them to uh, the materials. We, they interact. We put them through exercises. But in the end, they take what they want to take. And at least, at the very least, we have a common language that we talk about. And I think we build a common respect as a result. So what, what is your, what do you believe is the most important habit out of those seven? Is there one or do you believe they all tie into each other? I have two favorites. Two favorites. Habit two, habit two which is what I call a personal leadership habit, uh, uh, which is uh, begin with the end in mind, is, is about, uh, and that's true for all things. You, uh, you wouldn't build a house without first designing it, yep. but we don't do that with our lives. And so we go through an exercise that has people examine what are the important roles and what do you value? And it's unique for everyone to try and give them a personal compass that they can get up every day, just like values are for a company, values for a person don't, uh, uh, they take away that necessity to every situation. How should I be here? Uh, How should I behave? You, when you get in touch with what's important to you and who's important to you, these things become automatic and you begin to feel a lot better about yourself um, because you're providing some guidance in your life. So that's my first favorite one. Yep. The second is habit five, which is listening. Understand before you can be understood. Listening is not taught in schools like uh, reading and writing and even some speaking, but very rarely does anybody get listening training. The older we get, the more successful we get the more likely we are to not listen and the busier we get, Mm. you know, in this world of multitasking, which we all really suck at, you wonder whether you're getting through to anyone. Sometimes (laughs) they're looking at you, but are they really hearing what you have to say? No, they're looking at their phone. They're, you know, remembering that meeting they have coming up. They're trying to multitask, which human beings are not built to do. Yeah. So was the Simon Garfunkel song, um, uh, the, how was it? back to my era well, again. Sound, well, there's one line in this song that absolutely stuck sticks with me, and so I love this song. It's "The Sound of Silence" by Simon yeah. Garfunkel, and it's uh, there's a line in it saying there are people listening without hearing. Yeah, right, and it's so true in today's society that they might they're, they're listening to what they're saying, but they're actually not understanding what you're what you're on about. Yeah, and what does that do when somebody's excited or sad or has an issue, and they come up to you? and they let it out, and they think you're glancing at your screen, or you're not making eye contact, or uh, playing with your pencil, or whatever it is you're doing, uh, it sends them a message. Mm -hmm. They're not important to you. Yeah. And that's not how you feel. Mm. But remember, you're multitasking, you're making it happen. You're all about it. Uh, Yeah, I had a meeting, I had a a meeting uh, about a week or two ago, uh, with a gentleman who was looking at his laptop while during the meeting and writing emails, and you just yeah it, it instantly think is am I am I worth 
your time right now. Yeah, it's uh, you. The damage you're doing, you know, he, in there he talks about uh, um, the, the personal bank account you have with everybody, mm. um, and you're going into big deficit mode. I, one of the another anal- analogy uh, uh, is to that is is what happens at home when you pick up the remote control and your partner. Uh, starts to talk to you about something important in their day and you're kind of knackered and you want to watch the cricket <laughs> yeah. and you're just staring at the screen and the remote control. Uh, what messages are you sending about how important your own partner is yeah. to you? Yeah, I've so, done that a few times. Yeah, uh, you reckon? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, I'm guilty especially, of that. Especially with the cricket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so because you, you just want to go home and... Yeah, um, your brain's maybe, fried and right. you need it almost... But you do damage when uh, when you don't acknowledge somebody else's issues particularly if they're emotional Mm. uh it's just like saying you don't matter to me Mm. and uh, in our society that sends a huge message we don't have a lot of people running around hungry or without families or people to love but there's a lot of people trying to feel like their life means something and when they finally give up on that and they don't some of them do self-harm that's awful and by not acknowledging their issues and them as a person you're actually damaging that person. Mm. So there's a downside, an ugly side to not listening. There is, so. there is, but when does it become? When does your needs become first, or should be put first? Like you, you talk yeah. about coming home, and this is goes back to being a good father, being a good husband, being a good wife, being a good partner. When you come home and you've had a long day and you've been thrown a, a pandemic in your lap, right? The last thing you want to do is come and talk about someone else's problems. So you sit down and you put the TV on, or you sit, you go in another room and just pick up a book or whatever it might be. Get on the mobile phone. When does that become more important than listening to someone else's issues? Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna answer out of both sides of my mouth now. <laughs> You have to take care of yourself first or you're no good for anyone else. Mm. And that's the concept of the first three habits is learning how to to be independent as opposed to dependent where everything that happens to you then creates how you will function. Uh, you become dependent. So the first three habits are to build your independence. Well, let's face it. You're, you're a physical being and a, a mental being that only has so much capacity. And sometimes you're no good for somebody else. Mm. And that's when it comes down to how do you handle uh, not dealing with that without damaging yeah. uh, the relationship. You can say, look, I'll, I'll take some time now, but I'm not very good right now because I'm knackered. But I'd love to talk to you about this at 8 tomorrow morning or 3 this afternoon uh, because it's important to me and you're important to me. Now, that maintains the relationship without and letting them know, look, I'm either I've got a urgent matter that I'm on right now, or my brain is fried and I'm no good for you. And so we talk about preserving the relationship and having consideration because mm. you're not always going to be great for everyone. No. But if you spend a little time explaining that rather than, uh, you know, I, I can't be bothered right now, the same message can have two different results. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good answer. I like that. I might take that away. Yeah, it takes a lot of practice, uh, it, and it, I have failed well, at that a lot. Yeah, it's you're right, and you. I often think, oh my god, I, I just don't have 
the capacity to give you anything. You know, when I come home and, and, yeah. and speak with my wife, I don't have that. I'm I'm drained. Uh, my wife loves the the to, to talk, and she's a very extroverted person, and loves to build conversation and grow. And that's what I love about her. But there are some days where I'm not in that space. So yeah, it does become a manage a, a, an opportunity to manage the relationship. So I will take that on. Uh, so, so I got a, uh, I got uh, some advice if you'll t- take that. I will. From your most important person probably in your life is your partner. Mm-hmm. And it's often the one we tend to, they take all of the, uh, well, I'll call it abuse, if you will, of, uh, of when we're tired, uh, when we can't take on anymore, when we've had a bad interaction. But they shouldn't because they are the, the one who probably cares about us, if yeah. ever, you know, when we get hurt. So maybe you just say, uh, you know, this is a quadrant two is your my relationship with my wife. That is, if I don't look after it, it's it's important, but not urgent. And it will lead me to big problems. Just schedule a lunch, yeah. uh, schedule a day off or do something special on the weekend. Actually schedule some time when you know you're good so you can build that account back up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'm guilty yeah. uh, of this. I can yeah. tell you with both my wife and my children. Yeah. Uh, earlier in life. And uh, I don't recommend it. Uh, letting them take, you know, pick up the slack for you because you don't have anything left when you get home. Yeah. There are probably someone listening right now saying, you have to schedule your family in. But anyway. Yes, we, you do. We won't. Yeah. We, that's it. And don't another. override it. Mm. It's like scheduling in uh, a workout. You mm. need to look after your relationships. You need to look after your body. It's like scheduling a doctor's appointment. Mm. It's like scheduling a, a review of your portfolio. All of those are important, but you just don't wake up and go, oh, I got to do this now. That's not generally what drives us. What drives us is our Outlook calendar, the messages we're getting on the phone, and all the other urgent stuff. Mm. Yeah, it's big. Now, you're big on habits and creating small Habits, Atomic Habits. I know you've read that book and you love that book. Can you tell us a little bit more about your belief in creating great sustainable habits? Yeah, and since you're a cricket player, you can relate to this. It's sometimes boring to watch a guy score 100 in a five-day test. Mm. Ones and twos and, oh, my gosh, but pretty soon they have a great score and everybody's applauding. Uh, But I think a lot of success, particularly in small business, and certainly personally, comes in tiny increments. Mm. And so uh, this book, Atomic Habits, relatively clear that you and I have talked about by James Clear, he, he reinforces that. Once you read it, you go, yes. And I've seen it in business. Lots of little things. I, I tell people, if you could improve one thing in your business every week, do you have any idea how good you'd be in three years? Mm. But we're looking for the moonshot, generally, yeah. the big one. It's What's the, the one the thing get rich, I can do? Get rich quick scheme. Isn't it? Or even get great, good. Yeah. Or, uh, but we're sitting here in the Deming room, the guy uh, who brought total quality control to the Japanese, Kaizen, constant improvement. And it allowed the Japanese, I mean, the biggest example is Toyota was a nothing, you know, crap car in the 60s, 50s and 60s, to take Detroit and the big three apart. Mm. They became number one in the world through slow, small 
incremental change. And if you, in the book Atomic Habits, the example he uses of the British cycling team that hadn't done anything for a hundred years and they kind of stunk the place up. Yep. And all of a sudden they were winning all of the medals in the Olympics and they won the Tour de France five out of six years. And it was, they attributed to lots and lots of small things like rubbing alcohol on the tires and taking your pillow on the road with you. Yeah, These are things, oh really? They're, everybody's looking for what's the one thing that you did that no. made you a great bike rider. Then, and in business, you see people glaze over. They say, oh, what do I do? And we'll sit down and let's talk about quality and innovation in everything you do. Oh, okay. Well, it's no different to the question that I asked earlier. What's the, some of the fundamentals? It's, that, it's almost the question is what is the one thing? But so far in this conversation, we've discussed hundreds of different little things that we could be doing. It's never the one thing. It's never the one thing. I'm sorry to tell everybody. Yeah. So you know, that's when they'll tune me off. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, you have a really strong emphasis on, on sleep and health within, in, as part of creating um, a successful and sustainable business, not only leading a successful life. Yeah. Can you touch on that? Well, you know, again, growing up in Silicon Valley, your belief is you're going to work weekends, you're going to work 12-hour day as normal if you really care about the business. Uh, otherwise, you don't care. And there is tons of research now that says, some of it even says you're only creative for three hours a day or some ridiculous thing. And only then if you've had a, a good amount of sleep and you have a clear headspace. Mm. So you can imagine when you're working people 10 or 12 hours a day as they do in Silicon Valley, or they did. I don't know what they're currently doing now. Uh, I saw a lot of broken families. I saw a lot of people who couldn't come up with good ideas, who were burnt out uh, because they couldn't handle that. Most human beings can't. Mm. If you read the actual research you realize that less than eight hours for 98 percent of the population there's two percent that have these chromosomes that you only yeah. need four hours and yeah. everybody says they're in that two percent but they're not uh if you get eight hours of sleep you function better not only physically but mentally your ideas are good you are uh you're able to come up with lots of those small improvements you're able to have good relationships with people, all the things that in the end make you successful. Uh, but if you're coming, you're tired and you're dragging, you're behind into, um, yeah, you're there. You might even be there for 12 hours, but you're, you haven't spent you, any you know that you, Yeah, you know that you're full So capacity. I'm a big believer in sleep. Uh, and I'm a big believer in keeping yourself physically healthy. Mm. You, if you've ever had the flu, you realize the only thing you think about when you have the flu besides am I going to live is, you know, get me some fluids. How do I stop this headache? And I can't wait until I get better. Am yeah. I going to die? Yeah. And I, you know, in this terrible time of COVID, uh, you know, if, if you got that awful thing, that's got to be all you can do. Well, that's the extreme, but a lot of people run around sleep deprived. They run around not feeling very good physically. And so what goes on in upstairs and what comes out, out of their mouth and what they create uh, reflects that. Yeah. So I'd rather have somebody work less, be really fit and, and sharp than just put, to, put a bunch of time in and they're not really making a difference. Mm. We've talked about, uh, you know, bringing on some really great people, the importance of values. I know that a really strong emphasis that you place is marketing and selling. 
Can you give us a quick breakdown and on the differences of marketing and selling? Yeah. Uh, so marketing is a, a word. It's a catch-all phrase these days that covers selling, digital marketing, and, and a whole range of things. Uh, you ask any two people what marketing is, and the answer will be different. Marketing, because I spent 15 years as a, a marketing person, is a distinct function from sales. It's blurred for online sales. Online sales and marketing, I can see where people might interchange that a bit. But where, particularly where you have salespeople involved, selling is a delivery mechanism that counts on great marketing. If you hire a salesperson and you haven't f fulfilled your marketing minimum, which is this is what our target customer looks, at, looks like. These are the differences that we sell that make a sale. Mm -hmm. Then that salesperson will not be successful. To ask them to figure that out is to ruin a perfectly good salesperson who mm -hmm. just wants to go and find those folks and get in front of them. Mm -hmm. So marketing and selling are two different things. Sales is really a tactical delivery system where marketing... Uh, is multifaceted. It starts, I know when I went to business school, I'd take a whole course on market research. You want to put people to sleep, <laughs> think yeah. about it. But it starts with, <laughs> it starts with knowledge yeah. and understanding, as I said before, the three C's and the market. It then moves to strategy. Okay, given that, how are we going to position ourselves to win? It then moves into what does our product or service need to look like? How are we going to distribute it on the internet, by sales rep, telesales? It moves on to how, what's our pricing strategy, um, where we're going to advertise. Marketing is a huge range that goes from market research to strategy to tactical marketing, which is multifaceted. Mm. Selling is selling. I like, I like your army or military analogy. Can you? Yeah. So, one on? of the things I do at the Center for Business Growth is, and uh, I sometimes cop some flack for this. I'm not advocating war by doing this, but it, it's, people can relate to it when I put this picture yeah, up. And the picture on the left-hand side has some people in the Signals Corps analyzing information they've got, and that's like market research. And that's where it starts uh, for a, a battle plan. Then there's the general's tent, where the strategy is created, and wars are won or lost in the general's tent. And there's then the Air Force and the military or the artillery, they're supporting the ground troops. That's just like your advertising and your digital marketing. And finally, you have those people out there pointing a weapon at this enemy that has been identified. Uh, and it's very clear what they need to do. These are brave people. Selling is hard. Mm -hmm. But all that work needs to be done ahead of time or those people die. Yeah, and so I'm not advocating war. No, but those it's a great are, analogy. Yeah. Those that understand the military in particular go, I get it now. All the stuff on the left hand side of your slide is really marketing's function. Don't ask those guys out there in the trenches to do that. They're just there to go out there and uh, find those folks you described and bring them home. Yeah. So there's a common saying that sales is king, right? Is that is that wrong? Is that so, shouldn't it be marketing is king? Uh, yeah. Well, look, I'm not, I don't know where sales is king comes from, but sales will not be king if those salespeople don't know where to go, yeah, that's what true. the beast looks like, 
what to say. I've been to enough companies where they say, we have a real sales problem. Those last two salespeople are the real losers. We got rid of them. <laughs> and then I asked them, well, what did you ask them to do? Oh, I had them in here doing brochures and <laughs> project management and working on the CRM. And, uh, and they, I, they weren't out bringing in customers and well, salespeople sell. Yeah. In the, in the simplest, simplest, simplest uh, breakdown of this thing, someone else needs to de describe the type of company or customer and what to tell them. And that's a marketing function. And salespeople need to find them, forecast their sales, and sell the differences. People just trying to overcomplicate the sales function, or they try to get what I call a twofer. I'll hire a person, and I'll get marketing and sales out of them. Mm -hmm. They're often the uh, those people are very different. Yeah, good marketing people often don't want to pick up the phone, and salespeople sometimes, most of the time, don't want to be in the office. Mm. And you can ruin a good marketing person by trying to make them a salesperson, and ruin a good salesperson by trying to make them a marketing person. So don't go for the twofer. Yeah, you have mentioned to me a few times that it's the absolute most fundamental part of business is the sales and marketing piece for anyone that's struggling through this time of COVID or is that where you would point them in the right direction? Is, is that where you would say, get your sales and marketing correct or? I would always say that, but you can actually pick up a lot of market share in a downturn. Mm. I don't ever wish for a recession or something horrible like COVID, but when things are good, even lousy companies, stay in business mm. and there's hard enough to service everyone mm. so the standard isn't very good <laughs> but if you are good at what you do if you're good at promoting what you do when times are hard you're you're going to win your competition probably has their head down they don't know how to sell the customer is very choosy about who they'll buy and they actually good times to increase your market share so you should always in my opinion if you want to control your destiny Get out there and get customers. Uh, I hear people brag about, oh, we don't do any selling. Well, it's all we're all reference sale, word of mouth. Well, good luck with good that. Good luck, yeah. yeah. Do you think, though, now salespeople are using the excuse, well, it's a pandemic. Everyone's got their own problems at the moment. The last thing they want to do is, a, is hear a salesperson knocking on their door? Or is that just an excuse? It's an excuse. Mm. It's just like they do every year. Uh, nobody buys in December. Yeah. Uh, nobody because it's a short month on Christmas. Oh, and they don't buy in January because they're on holiday. And in February, they're just coming back and getting set. And oh, by the way, is don't try and sell to them on school holidays uh, or Fridays because they're getting ready or Monday because there's an excuse for not ever selling. Yeah. Uh, what we've always told our sales force is we're open for business 12 months a year and you're working 12 months a year. The reality is, you can go down the freeway in January, and yeah, it isn't as full. Well, there's at least half full, and most of those people's calendars probably are not very full. Mm -hmm. Why don't you go out there and be the one who calls on them? Yeah, makes sense. And uh, for us, it's uh, we were able to turn uh, December, January into the biggest two months of the year by getting countercyclical going to uh, schools, mm. which do the bulk of their buying when the students are on holiday. Mm. So rather than lose two out of 12 months, we turn them into great months so that we don't have to wear all the pain of 
loss yeah. for two months and have to make it up later. There's some retailers who only make money four or five weeks out of 52, you know, yeah. Christmas and so on. I always think about the ice cream shops down at Glenelg <laughs> yeah. and think surely they're not making anything during winter. You wouldn't think so. Would no. <laughs> and so it's a challenge for business if they have that to yeah. find something that's countercyclical yeah. that can help smooth that out. You do work at the Center of Business Growth, the UniSA. Uh, what are some common pitfalls or red flags that you see in startups, businesses, when they first come to speak with you? Well, most of the businesses we get are not startups. They're actually companies that have been around 10, sometimes okay. 20 years. Okay. And they've gone on a journey that's up and down and up and down, and they're frustrated. But they're, you know, they're competent uh caring people who who want their businesses to go mm. but they might have not have had any training it might have been a family business uh and they might have escaped some big company and just started open up shop and they really haven't had any structure to where they're going some of the things we've we've covered here uh we immediately look at the personnel mm. if you got the right people for what you're trying to do we also look at the things I mentioned about positioning. But do you understand where you sit in the market? What's your message? What makes you different? What makes your tribe of customers want to buy from you? Is there anything at all? Have you ever even thought about that? Mm. And the four P's of marketing, as I said before, promotion, place, price, and product. Do they all, are they all consistent with that message? Mm -hmm. Uh, we cover strategy. Uh, but we also look at finance. A lot of companies fail because they are not properly funded. We look at innovation, as you asked before, because if you're not constantly improving, you're probably falling behind. So we cover all those things. It's hard to be a top-tier business and grow. It really is. Business is hard. Uh, but if you follow that half a dozen to 10 or 12 things and you do uh, state-of-the-art work there, which will take you some time, but not as much as you think. Most of it is just knowing what you're trying to do. Mm. Uh, then you're going to be successful. Or written plans, for example. We ask people, raise your hand if you have a written plan that you follow and review on a regular basis. And we get very few hands up. If you don't have a plan for your business, detail for one year, directional, conceptual for three to five, well... Uh, so what does a plan like that look like? What's a 12-month plan in a, in, a, in a short form? What does that look like? Well, there's one-page plans they yeah. talk about. They might use mouse type and you know, yeah. A3 paper. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I've seen them even – it's not important that they're long. It's important they have the right elements in them. And one of them is always what revenue and profit are we shooting for? You, you can't get away from those. You don't exist just to make money, but mm. you have to have a financial plan. Well, yeah. it, it guides when you're going to hire people and buy things. So that's one of them. What is my profit? What's my sales goal? Another is what marketing plan do I have? How am I going to promote what I do? Mm. Marketing and, and then perhaps selling as well. Uh, how am I going to get out there and, and, and bring in leads and be on the front foot from a selling standpoint. That needs to be part of it. Another is, um, what do I need to do to my infrastructure? Do I need new software? Uh, do we need a new building? Do we have the tools all, uh, that we need? Um, so those are all areas that uh, 
that we make sure there's at least an entry yeah. in all of, all of those. And in part of infrastructure, we look at key hires and that sort of thing. What is the one person I need next year that's going to fulfill this vision? Mm. Or three people or five people. Brilliant. Those all need to be in the plan. How, when you are looking at them from a, you know, you talked about personnel. And I know you really, you and I met at a, at a, lead, at a summit where you spoke about leadership. You did it, you provided a keynote uh, on leadership. How important are the leaders of the business and their vision of what the business is actually trying to achieve? Well, they, there's one study I saw that said the two main reasons businesses fail are not enough money and no vision or not a properly communicated vision. So that's how important vision can be. Yeah. And it's the responsibility of the top person in the company to make sure everybody knows where the company's going. Absolutely their first responsibility. I, I think I've told you before my short form on leadership, it's a lot of things, yeah. but it's VIP, be a VIP. Provide vision, work with integrity, which is walking the walk of your values and have a passion, VIP. And passion, I don't mean uh, means you have to be some person who jumps up and down on a table or Braveheart yeah. or something. But it means that when people look you in the eye and you say, this is what's happening, they believe you. Mm. So if you provide that sort of leadership, it's of which vision is, is the most important in every, one I've, every study I've ever looked at, uh, absolutely. You, companies will fail for lack of vision. It's hard to believe. So what's, so, a, what's a clearly communicated vision look like? Well, it's a compass point. It's aspirational in some cases. And, and let's use NASA in the U US as, as an example. Uh, of clearly articulated vision for them would be, we're going to go where no man has gone before. Mm. Well, that's actually Star Trek. NASA, yeah. <laughs> NASA got it wrong because they said, we're going to put a man on the moon. And then the world fell apart for them because that was a mission and not a vision. Yeah. A vision is aspirational. You never quite get there. To be the top uh, communication and change and company in Australia, that could be your vision. Uh, that obviously will change, and the goalpost keeps going out now, but it gives yeah. you an aspirational direction. Yeah. So a good vision has that, and it's also it, exciting I for I think people. for us, we look at the, our vision is to create a world where people are inspired and they're valued and they're fulfilled and safe. We know that that is at, never get at its fundamental, we're never really going to reach it. But yeah. what it does do is it allows us to, to connect with businesses, partner up with others who we can support and help those grow and help there. So the more and more people that we connect to. So for us, the vision is, yeah, it's, it's at a point where, you know, we're talking about the world. Right. It, we understand most people, and Simon Sinek, who I know you're a, there's a cynic room yeah, here right. as well. Also so, who's, you know, the start with why is, is really a big piece. Uh, there's a lot of businesses out there who are saying, let's conquer the world. It's a, it's a, it's a aspirational target that realistically is going to be tough to crack. Yeah. And I, the, uh, it, it is related absolutely to your emotional reason for being. And that's where Simon Sinek comes in with his start with why. It's mm -hmm. really what made his, him famous. But think about it. It's not only good for your customers because people want to shop, buy from, be associated with people who believe like they believe. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, they call it a tribe that gets thrown around a yeah. lot. But it's true. We're tribal people. Mm. So if you have this great vision, this reason for being, customers want to buy from you. They'll find a reason to buy. It doesn't matter if it's a tender or anything mm, else. Yeah. They'll buy from you because they believe in you. Yeah. But if you can't articulate that, you're, you're, you're missing a big opportunity. And you're missing an opportunity, a recruiting opportunity as well, because employees want to work for a company they believe in. Otherwise, they're just working for a buck. Mm. And you don't hang on to those people for that long. So going back to the leadership aspect, when you're building a business, how important is it as, a, as to be self-aware in your leadership abilities? Well, self-awareness, I guess, is good in its own right. But it is, you remember when you, you mentioned that talk I gave? My belief is that you can do a better job at leading a company if you figured out how to lead yourself. Mm. And that comes down to that habit too we talked yeah, about. Does, yeah. what, what's important to you? What are your values? Yeah. How do you roll? And because if you're still well, that's wondering... That's the I in integrity in the VIPs. Exactly. Yeah. And it's uh, if you don't have integrity in your life, if you don't have values in your life, how do you create them for a company? How do you get... How do you sell that? It's you'll you'll appear to be a wanderer. It's true on the management side, which is the more boring side. If you can't manage your life, if you can't get things done during the day, you're probably going to be reflected in how you manage your company. Mm. And that's habit three. It's personal management. Mm. We talk about the four D's and so on. Yeah. It's the boring part, but uh, you know you need to know. Great companies need really good leadership. They need really good management yeah. as well. Not necessarily in the same person, but if they lack one or the other, they will fail or they certainly won't grow very big. And it even comes down to innovation. If you don't innovate in your life, you don't work for constant improvement, are you going to have that mentality to, to do innovation in your company? Yeah. I think maybe not. So when you say innovate, that's personal growth? Within self, is that yeah. what you're saying? It's habit seven. I'll go back to Covey. Yeah, I don't have a statue of him in front of my house. <laughs> it's where he calls it sharpening the saw. Yeah, constantly tweaking your mind up, constantly getting your health better, your physical health better, your emotional and spiritual health, redefining what you believe in, connecting with people constantly. That's you hear a lot of a lot of books are written that really came out of Covey's stuff. Hmm. about sq and eq and all this those are just aspects of a person in sharpening the saw four aspects of a human being perfect what other than the seven habits and atomic seven habits of highly effective and, and atomic habits um you're big in the habits by the sounds of things the what are two what's one of the most influential books that you've read in your life well, I'll stick to the the um, business end of things, if you will. Yeah. When right now where I am in my life, and this changes, uh, you need good, the right habits, seven habits to be highly effective. But being able to actually do those, you need a methodology, which is where that atomic habits comes in. So those go well together. But the final element of the equation that I throw in now is having a concept for yourself and a concept for your company that's more eternal than it is one year from now, I'll be here three years from now. Those are just kind of functional. But uh, the idea of 
that Simon Sinek has in his book. Um, what's that latest book? He, he the wrote? Infinite Game. Yeah, The Infinite Game. He says the best companies look at their company as, as if it will be around forever. And then they'll end up doing the right things for that company rather than just trying to beat the competition this week. Mm. Constantly improving. They're going to be here forever. So we're going to take the long game. We're going to do the right things to build the company in the long run, not these quick fixes. I'm a big believer in that. And the, the personal analog for that is Mahatma Gandhi, which is uh, live as if this will be your last day, but learn as if you'll live forever. Mm. And with that philosophy, you then it causes you to constantly be a learning machine. Mm. And if you're a learning machine, you're an improving machine. If you take that that learning into practice. Well, I think it was you that was talking to me about the one percent each day. Yeah, yeah. If you in the Atomic Habits, it says if you get one percent better today than you were yesterday for three hundred sixty five days for one year, you ask people how much. This is compound interest yeah how much better will you be at the end of a year one percent better today than i was the day before well most people will say uh four five even some will jump to 10 but if you do the math it's 38 Mm -hmm. so imagine if you only get one percent better every week you still get that exponential effect and then you do that year in and year out it, it the potential is massive now on the other hand if you get one percent worse you let yourself slide. You just kind of regress. Mm. At the end of a year, you're 1% worse than you were the day before. You'll be 0.03 of where you were at the start of the year. Mm. So the idea is to try and improve a little bit every day, which again gets us back to the so, Kaizen, continuous yeah. improvement. Uh, it's not exciting. No. But it's also, uh, all right, I'll extend it. Now we'll really get philosophical. I extend to my concept of happiness. Everybody's looking for happiness. Oh, I just want to be happy. I'll find happiness under a rock or a table or when I achieve this. What if you accept happiness as just getting a little bit better and fulfilling your potential 1%? And then you can celebrate. And 1%, you can celebrate again. You don't have to wait till you hit a goal, make uh, $10 million or live in this house. You can reward yourself in a happy fashion whenever you make a little bit of improvement. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, and then amazing. you realize, wow, I can be happy a lot. Yeah. What does 1% look like, though? We, you know, we talk about 1%, being 1% better. Is it picking up a book? Is it going for a run or eating the right food? What does 1% look like? Yes. That's, I mean, the, I, that's the hard well, bit, I think. Well, for 1% means I'm going to park my car a, uh, half a K away and walk to and from work. I'll get, bang, I'll get a... One more kilometer in. It's I'm going to take the stairs. Mm. I'm going to not put sugar in my coffee. It's boring stuff. Most mm. people can't bear it. But if you have the concept of little changes make big differences, it is doing, okay, I'll do five push-ups. Mm. Most people think that won't get you anywhere. No, you do five. It will. Yeah, because true. pretty soon you'll realize, well, I'm, I'm, that's easy. I can do eight mm. and then ten. You know, in the book he says... Even if you feel like not going to that gym membership you signed up, go and spend five minutes. Yeah. yeah. Because then you're defining yourself as a person. Well, a lot of it is identifying with it. Mm. I identify as a person who works out. You will do that just by going to the gym. Yeah. And that little thing, that tiny thing, and makes then, a big difference. And then you'll say, well, while I'm here, I'll stay yeah. with it. 
the the I, it was ten, you know talk about five push-ups someone said to me if you do 10 push-ups a day for a whole year it's 3650 push-ups right so that's more than what you would have done last year so instantly you, surely you can see that improvement so yeah it is a it's an amazing the the uh, quote i like is we tend to uh, overestimate what we can do in a year and underestimate what we can do in a day hmm. and uh, because I'm going to pound seven habits on you, habit one is be proactive. Mm. Get things done. Yeah. Uh, make a difference. Don't wait for things to come to you. Get things done today. Mm. You can do a lot of things today. But we tend to say, well, I got all week to do it. I got all year to do it. So we overestimate what we thought we could get done in a year, and we underestimate what we can do in a day. Try to have a really productive day one day. Say, I'm just going to crack everything today. You would be amazed at what you get done. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the part of the concept of tiny, tiny changes, tiny habits become big uh, over time. But most of us are looking for the moonshot. Ah, I'm going to put one on the moon here and I'll do it in three weeks from now. And then we never do it. We never do it. So we're coming to the a close now of the podcast so thank you your pearls of wisdom and philosophy are amazing um, i've gotten even though you and i have had a lot of these conversations before i am learning more and more of you every day so thank you for that well you're too kind thank you before uh we generally like to wrap up the podcast with a few fire quick fire questions <laughs> i'll try i know you can ask me those weird questions now <laughs> If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Yeah, I guess a super. I would be a mind reader. Oh. Now, I think that might also have a really dark side to it. Yeah, it would. <laughs> but I, I would think. What, what, man, what's the appeal there? Because you wouldn't have to try and read everybody's. You know, this is a cipher code. Yeah. Yeah. Just, hey, okay, I know what's going on. <laughs> I tell you, it'd be an awesome power, but I think it also might drive you crazy. It would. Uh, so there need to be a switch. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. need to be able to shut it off. Cause would your partner really want to be your partner? If, if they knew you could read minds, well, if you it have to be something that no one else knew. Yeah. If you could read minds, you wouldn't tell anyone. No, no, no that would ruin your life. It would. Yeah, absolutely. But that'd be a superpower. That's for sure. Yeah. It would. Yeah. Make, make selling easier. <laughs> make selling real easy. Wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> what do you want? It's and that comes down to the understanding. Seek to understand. If you can yeah. read minds, you're already halfway there. If you had access to a time machine, what where would you go? I know it's going to sound weird, but I'd go to the Jurassic period. I just have to see these dinosaurs. Yeah. Walking. It just always is. I've always loved yeah with the, the, That's the good. dinosaur thing, and I would. I love Jurassic Park, the movie. Yeah, I would just love to see that. I'd make sure I got a return trip home. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, no, one way trip. You go quickly way. into the food chain there. But <laughs> assuming we could solve those problems, that would be so wild. It would be. Yeah. So the future doesn't appeal to you at all? It does, but I'm not as much as the I'm not sure how much I'd be disappointed or not yeah, disappointed when I came back. Um, Sometimes it's best not knowing. Yeah. Mm. I I'm I'm not so sure how good that would be. That again might have its own dark side. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that you uh, were ticking off. You, you sold some businesses, and we sold um, uh, Centauri, and then you then were ticking off your bucket lists. What's one thing left on your bucket list? You know, I 
I, I got a prelim look at that. I used <laughs> to have a big bucket list. Yeah. Uh, and it included going to places. And I've had a, a great opportunity to travel to a lot of countries and do a lot of things and climb mountains and do all that sort of stuff. Travel around the world with my with uh, two of my kids and climb Mount Kilimanjaro. And so I had a lot on my bucket list. Yeah. I am one of the fortunate individuals that I'm in the bonus round. Mm. Uh, the, yeah. You know, like when you we used to play pinball, you play some of those games, yeah. you're in the bonus round. Yeah. It's all gravy at that point. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I don't, it's probably terrible. I don't have a bucket list now. Uh, and I appreciate every day. Now I'm, I just get more bonuses all the time. Mm. And, uh, Probably I focus more now on my grandchildren in terms of uh, of what I can do f for them uh, brings me a lot more uh, satisfaction than going to another place and visiting another museum or or going on a hike. I do like doing those things, but they're not really bucket list no. items for me now. I really would like to make uh, a difference in more people's lives. I'm not sure how that manifests itself. Uh, We're definitely going on about it the right way. Well, I, I don't know. I'm trying. I started one, one and I'm, you know, I've learned so much about business that maybe I can help some companies there. That's where I focused it, whether it's my own family or other folks. Uh, that's more what drives me than visiting another town, another mm. mountain range. Um, it's just, it's I don't just have a list a, like that. Yeah, what's your purpose now as opposed to what's your Yeah, it's the old, when you're, when you feel like you're in the fourth quarter of a game, Yeah, I think a lot of us start looking at our legacy and, mm. uh, you know, have, have, has my life had any meaning? Mm -hmm. Can it still have meaning for other people? Um, buying toys and visiting places is uh, it's just not on my list. Yeah, great. Now, you didn't want me to ask this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. In fact, you didn't know what a, didn't know what a dad joke was. I had to explain no. it to you. So a dad joke is a shit joke. Like, what's your worst joke that you've got lined up? Uh I told you some. I can't, can't remember those before. But apparently all my jokes are dad jokes. Because now I realize when my kids are telling me that's a dad joke, I thought, yeah, that's a compliment. But no, they were going, man, that really stunk. Uh, I, don't, I probably uh, can't think of a good Your one. Your Google one is good. Oh, yeah. That, it's that one about... Uh, um, if it's, you, a, it's a marketing yeah. It's a marketing joke. Yeah. Marketing if you uh, uh, want to... Uh, get rid of your uh, mother-in-law never have her be found where do you put her and that's uh on the second page of a google search <laughs> we, when we talk about marketing and the importance of of seo uh, search engine optimization and, yeah. and so on from just plain google searches that's what we say if you're not up on page several one. times on page one on your key uh your key words uh you're in some trouble yeah and uh in this day and age, you, you really need to be. So that's that's one of those fundamental places. But Absolutely. We'll I love back them up with jokes. I could say a lawyer joke, but then I might get in trouble about yeah, we'll, lawyers. We'll so I don't them. do those. We'll leave them for podcast too. Uh, yeah. Okay. Thank you. My mother-in-law was a lawyer. Very good one. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time today, Mick. This has been enlightening, I think would be the correct word. Uh, where can we find you? First of all, do you want to be found? And where can we find you if so? Well, I, I'm, you know, I'm not in the mainstream. At one point, I pulled down everything. In fact, I haven't been on Facebook in a long time. I wasn't mm -hmm. on LinkedIn. I have been since I got back into Nuago. Yeah. Uh, certainly, I can be reached uh, on, LinkedIn on LinkedIn under my name. 
or mick.o'rourke without the apostrophe at nuago.com.au. Uh, if anybody has a question or I can help them with something that doesn't drag me in too far, uh, I'm, I'm quite happy to do that. I'm also probably I could be reached through the Center for Business Growth, but the LinkedIn and the Nuago uh, address are probably the best two contact points. And uh, as you know, because we've been working together, I enjoy working with businesses, uh, but I don't want to overcommit and then yeah. not do a good job. Yeah, so I have right. to be. There's a, a caveat, caveat on that. Yeah, There's yeah. a caveat on there, and yeah, it's not because I'm super cool or anything. It's just a reality that. I do like to do good work when I well, do. Well, you it. want to stick to quadrant twos, don't you? Not, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't want to just sign up for a whole bunch of things and then uh, not do the Feel right obligated. Things. That's yeah. right. Very good. Thank you very much again, thank Mick. Thank you. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on, and you're very complimentary. I hope I can live up to those comments. Thank yeah. you. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you once again for joining us here at Creating Synergy. It's been great spending this time with you. Please jump on to the Synergy IQ Facebook and LinkedIn page where the discussion continues after the show. Join our mailing list so you'll know what's happening next at synergyiq.com.au. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you really enjoyed it, please share it with your friends.